sounded an awful lot like a clock ticking, didn't it? You see, that's because I'm I'm coming to another show that's following another unspeakable tragedy. And unfortunately, the unfortunately the politics seem to be getting in the middle of the conversation. The extremism of of both sides of the political spectrum are actually preventing a much necessary dialogue. And that's something that I hope to focus on a little bit in this episode today. There were a number of victims in this horrific incident, and I want to open the show with just a moment of silence for them. Thank you. Let's get the intro rolling. It's Friday, February 16th, 2018, and thank you for tuning in to a new edition of FritzCast, whether you're a long-time listener or a first-time diving in. Welcome to the program. I'd like to say that I hope you've all had a good week, but much like me, you probably are sick of getting these news alerts pushed to your phone or getting on these stories or even getting on social media and just watching and reading the commentary back and forth when when something like this happens. You might not have noticed with the show opening, you might have not noticed that the clock ticking actually struck 17 times. 17 victims. 17 people gone. Seventeen people gone. Going to school, simply living their day-to-day lives at the hands of a fellow student, a a deranged fellow student who had access to a gun. And goes on a spree, And, and, and his story is very odd. Seventeen victims. Like Alyssa Alhadef, who was fourteen years old. Or maybe teacher Scott Beigel, who was thirty five years old. Or Martin Angiano, who was fourteen years old, or Nicholas Dorwett who was 17 years old and a senior. 
Maybe the football coach, Aaron Feese. Thirty-seven years old. Jamie Gutenberg, fourteen years old. Chris Hickson, athletic director. Forty-nine years old. Iraq War veteran. Luke Hoyer, fifteen years old. Kara Lohren. Fourteen years old. Gina Montalo, fourteen years old. Yo, Quinn Oliver, 17 years old. Elena Petty, 14 years old. Meadow Pollock, 18 years old. Helena Ramsey, 17 years old. Alex Schachter, 14 years old. Carmen Shentrop, 16 years old. And Peter Wang, 15 years old. These are just kids. These are just kids going to school. Most of them just kids. Scott Beigel, the teacher, and Aaron Feast, the football coach. Both. made efforts to ensure that more children were out of harm's way. And I can only assume that Chris Hickson was the same, making sure more students were out of the way than in the way. And they should definitely be noted for their efforts in trying to save more lives and putting children's lives above their own. But here we are again, another tragic event at a school with a psychopath, with a gun, and the debate begins. The debate ensues. Let the debate begin. And you really have two extreme sides going on here. You have the sides that say, oh my God, my thoughts and prayers are with these people. And then they offer nothing else. They just say thoughts and prayers. What a tragedy. You can't stop it. I will offer my thoughts and prayers for when it happens again the next time. And we have a group that says that action needs to be taken now, immediately, on guns period, the end. Your thoughts and prayers mean nothing. They're a waste of time. I mean, people have gone as far as to insult people who genuinely want to have thoughts, prayers, mourning with those people who have lost their loved ones. 17 people dead means 17 families that are in mourning, and even more when you throw in colleagues and friends and other 
people. And, and an event like this, which should bring people together, which should bring people to active discussion, you find that events like this cause sharp, severe divisiveness that doesn't help anybody out whatsoever. It's odd to be the libertarian guy, the guy that points at the Constitution all the time. Because people will flock to me when things like this happen and they say, how do I argue with these people and tell them that banning guns won't do anything? Or it won't eliminate the problem? And I look at those people and I say, listen... Everybody's, everybody's emotional over this. Everybody. Anybody with a heart. Anybody who's a human being. A decent human being. Looks at this. And is horrified. By the prospect of it. Horrified that it happens. Horrified that. This isn't the first time this has happened this year. It's not the 18th time it's happened this year either. We'll tackle that one in a minute. But even once is too many times. People flock to me and they ask that. And other people flock to me and say, how can you support any type of gun freedom with things like this going on? Now I'll break this down for you and I'll break I'll break this down and, and tell you exactly how I feel about it. The, the the news and the media always pushes up the fact that most of these are carried out with an AR-15. And they falsely equate it and say that it, it's an assault rifle. And they say that the AR and AR-15 stands for assault rifle, which isn't true. The AR-15 in and of itself is by Armalite Rifle. And there are many guns, many rifles that fit that blanket description of AR-15. And they're all semi-automatic rifles, a.k.a. I have a Glock 22 Gen 4 handgun. All right, it's a 40 caliber handgun. I have three 15-round magazines that came with the gun upon my purchase of it. And it's a semi-automatic firearm. A.K.A. if somebody broke into my house, okay, and I don't have this gun secured in some locker or away and the bullets aren't separated from it, somebody could take my gun, my three rounds, or my three magazines, fully loaded, 15 each, so that's what? 15, 30, 45? 45 rounds in three magazines. Somebody could take my handgun and walk into a school, walk into a crowded place and event, 
with that concealed and essentially do the same thing as anybody with an AR-15. Same fire rate. All right. The magazines for an AR-15 can carry more. That's 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 true. That they are higher capacity magazines. But somebody could do it with my Glock. And it's not an assault handgun. In fact, people would largely ignore that. They they the focus of the media and the focus of a lot of the gun control talk is on the AR-15. And it baffles me because that's a, that's something that isn't as concealable as my Glock is. My Glock could be in somebody's waistband. You could be walking about right now at a mall, in a movie theater, or just on the street, and somebody might have that Glock tucked in their waistline. But you know what? All the mass shootings that are going on, it's not a Glock, it's not a handgun, it's a rifle. And that I, it's very odd to me that it's a rifle, except in the fact that a rifle has increased range. So you don't have to be closer to your targets, but still a handgun can still be good from 25 yards out, if not further out, depending on who it is. And in shootings like this, it appears that nobody is specifically targeted. It is just a deranged individual who, for whatever reason, isn't getting proper help that they need going on a spree and having an episode and having access to a deadly weapon. And I understand that argument. And that's why these things are multifaceted. However, this this guy who committed this one apparently purchased this rifle. Everybody knows I don't like naming names. I don't like giving that that uh, attention to those who carry this out because I, I discourage immortalizing them especially because some of them have such twisted minds uh, that they see it as something of fame. But in reading news stories about this guy, this, this guy used to introduce himself by saying he was a school shooter. In a mass shooting that was carried out in New York this past summer, he commented online saying, man, I can do so much better. And that it's hard to decipher people's online postings because there's such trolling on the Internet that it's not even funny. He was 19 years old, or is 19 years old, rather, because he was taken into custody. Legally purchased this AR-15 style rifle last year. His defense attorney refers to him as a broken child. And based on interviews of people that knew him, the story remains the same. Um, He was adopted 
at a very young age by Roger and Linda Cruz. Roger died years ago. Linda died last fall following an illness, and he was taken in by the parents of a schoolmate, according to that family's attorney. His mother's death capped troubled high school years that ended with his expulsion from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, so he was suspended from the school that he carried out this atrocity. Definitely patterns of a disturbed kid coming out from the comment, various comments of people who knew him, grew up with him, the family that raised him, uh, just all blending together. It was stated that uh, he ditched his rifle amidst the shooting, blended in with a group of students exiting, and actually got away from the scene of the crime. Upon uh, upon leaving, he actually went to a Walmart and a McDonald's before being found by police and taken into custody. He's confessed to committing this this act, and this is where this this is where the debate comes in. How did the, how did this guy? How did this kid, for lack of a better term, get a gun? He purchased it legally. Despite the fact that many people felt off by him, felt that there was something wrong. In some cases, observed him doing things wrong, but nobody actually offering help to him. And I know that's probably hard to discuss because we're talking about helping somebody who just committed this atrocity, killing 17 people. If you ask me, there's no bouncing back for you killing one person in cold blood, let alone 17, mostly children. So what do you do? Do you offer up thoughts and prayers and leave it at that and hope to God that the next one doesn't happen in your town with your kid, with somebody you know, and leave it at that and say, oh, there's nothing that can be done. It's, it's such a such a tragedy. Nothing can be done. Do you say... We have to strictly go after AR-15 style rifles and that will that will end the chaos. That will stop all of these mass shootings. Which I don't believe it would. Do you look at mental health and say that mental health in this nation has se- severely grown as an issue and the fact that some people with these severe mental illnesses can either fly under the radar or people are afraid to talk about it. And as such, these tragedies happen. What can we do about mental health? I don't know. I don't have any solutions, but it's mental health. Well, that doesn't help either. You know what else doesn't help is that despite the fact that there has been a rise in these school shootings, I have yet to see these schools undertake more security measures. And that isn't necessarily a faulting of the schools. That's a faulting on the funding of these schools. Yeah, people might be looking at me knowing I'm a libertarianish type of person and saying, wait, you're saying that there should be more security? I thought anybody willing to sacrifice... uh, Anybody willing to sacrifice um, liberty for a little temporary safety deserves neither. 
fair enough, but when there's a correlation of school attacks being up because they are gun-free zones, because they aren't stricter security, because they aren't guarded, because they aren't secured, that begs the question to me of how often can you just leave schools open? You could, I could probably walk into some schools without question. I could enter the school building as an unidentified person with no attachments to the school. How many schools in America can we do that in? How many schools in America can you just waltz into the lobby? And the minute that you waltz in that front door, you can get anywhere. And some people might be saying, well, well, schools shouldn't have to be that way. But listen, every college campus, every college campus on America practically either has a police force or security and safety officers. Every single college campus does. Every single hospital has constables. Every single one practically has those security measures in place. What security measures are in place in a school? Some people might say, yeah, we have metal detectors at ours. Yeah, we have uh, card access for the front door only. Yeah, the front door only is the only way to get in the school. You can't get in through some back door. I'm just saying, me as an individual, I shouldn't be able to waltz into any high school around here. Around where I'm at. Or middle school. Or elementary school. If I have no business being there, if I don't have a kid there, or a friend's kid that I'm picking up because they're having an emergency or something along those lines, then I have no business being there. But I'm sure we can find plenty of them where people could just walk in the front door. Or worse, there isn't just a front door. There's multiple doors and none of them are locked and none of them are secured and there's no cameras and there's nothing in place. And that's the debates that we're having. That's the arguments that we're having. And some to the extreme degrees. Now, I already mentioned, the media pushed a statistic that 18 school shootings have happened. That 18 mass shootings have happened in schools in America just this year. Now remember, I've said even one is too many. Even one is too many. We don't even want one. But objectively, is the news reporting that this is the 18th mass shooting at a school, is that responsible when you actually look at it and figure out that it is a false number. And I got this 
from the Washington Post. Of all places, the stunning number swept across the internet within minutes of the news Wednesday night that, yet again, another young man with another semi-automatic rifle had rampaged through a school, this time at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High in South Florida. I'm reading this from the Washington Post. It was written by John Woodrow Cox and Stephen Rich. Quote, The figure originated with Every Town for Gun Safety, a nonprofit group co-founded by Michael Bloomberg that works to prevent gun violence and is most famous for running its tally of school shootings. This, the organization tweeted at 4.22 p.m. Wednesday, is the 18th school shooting in the U.S. in 2018. A tweet by Senator Bernie Sanders, including this claim, had been liked more than 45,000 times by Thursday evening, and one from political analyst Jeff Greenfield had cracked 126,000. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio tweeted it too, as did performers Cher, Alexander William, and actors Misha Collins and Albert Brooks. News organizations including MSNBC, ABC News, NBC, CBS, Time, MSN, BBC, The New York Daily News, and HuffPost also used the number in their coverage. By Wednesday night, the top suggested search after typing 18 into Google was 18 school shootings in 2018. It is a horrifying statistic, and it is wrong. Every town has long inflated its total by including incidents of gunfire that are not really school shootings. Get ready. Take, for example, what is counted as this year's first. On the afternoon of January 3rd, a 31-year-old man who had parked outside a Michigan elementary school called police to say he was armed and suicidal. Several hours later, he killed himself. The school, however, had been closed for seven months. There were no teachers. There were no students. Also listed on the organization's site is an incident from January 20th when at 1 a.m. a man was shot at a sorority event on the campus of Wake Forest University. A week later, as a basketball game was being played at a Michigan high school, someone fired several rounds from a gun in the parking lot. No one was injured, and it was past 8 p.m., well after classes had ended for the day, but every town still labeled it as a school shooting. Every town explains on its website that it defines a school shooting as, quote, any time a firearm discharges a live round inside a school building or on a school campus or grounds. Sarah Toft, Every Town's research director, calls the definition crystal clear, noting that every time a gun is discharged on school grounds, it shatters the sense of safety for students, parents, and the community. Fair statement. She and she, all right, she said, and her colleagues said that they work to reiterate these parameters in their public messaging, but the organization's tweets and Facebook posts seldom include that nuance. Just once in 2018, on February 2nd, has the organization clearly explained its definition on Twitter, and every town rarely pushes its jarring totals on social media immediately following more questionable shootings, as it does with those that are high-profile and undeniable, such as the Florida massacre or one from last month in Kentucky that left two students dead and at least 18 people injured. 
After the Washington Post published this report, every town removed the January 3rd suicide outside of the closed Michigan school. Why do these figures matter? Well, the figures matter, going back to the article, because gun control activists use them as evidence in their fight for bans on assault weapons, stricter background checks, and other legislation. Gun rights groups seize on the faults in the data to undermine those arguments and similarly present skewed figures of their own. At the end of the day, we still have big issues here. And it's involving guns, and it's involving mental health, and it's involving safety and security. It's also involving the fact that for some reason, People do not understand the sanctity of life. I don't know what people's personal religious beliefs are, but me, spiritually as a person, I am very lost as a spiritual person. I am still trying to figure out my relationship with God, my spirituality, This is why I paint myself an agnostic. I'm not an out-and-out atheist saying that, well, things like this tragedy is proof that there's no God. How could a God allow this to happen? Because I'm such a libertarian person, I believe that a God cannot interfere with a person's agency and choice. That all factors into the test of somebody's character. So I'm not an atheist, but I'm ag- agnostic because I could never really sit and tell people, oh, yes, I, I absolutely know and believe that there is a God and that every effort that I make to do good is being tallied by him. And it's a very hard place to be in. But people who are deeply religious have more going for them in their heads. They believe that once this life is is written down and in the books that there is something afterwards and that there is a God that will set things straight. Now I hope to hell that there is a God and that things can get set straight one day from the highest authority because he's, he's, he's God. How, how are you going to tell God he's wrong? You can't. He's God. And I could go into a deep philosophical discussion here about how there are some things that just universally are. There is some universal things that are just plain wrong, plain evil, you could say. And not from humans dignifying it as evil, but simply because it is. Simply, this is the same way that we all have inalienable rights. They don't come from government, and I'll say that they don't come from God. They are ingrained in the very fabric of the universe. They are rights that you have, period, the end. Some people want to attach it to government. Some people want to attach it to God. I believe that these just are. 
And that's part of what makes me respect the sanctity of life because I don't have the answers. I don't know what lies beyond. And you would think people who are uncertain of what the future holds, you would think they would have more respect and sanctity for life too because nobody knows. It's a giant question mark. And everybody's, everybody has anxiety about that. Nobody really wants to think about it. But I've come to find more and more that that's not the case. And that's not a suggestion that religion needs to be pushed more or people need to find spirituality or whatever. But the sanctity of life doesn't have meaning anymore. It really doesn't have meaning when we're sitting here as Americans talking about what's happening here at the home front in these schools by madmen who have access to guns, but we don't question when we're bombing countries left and right, back and forth, when we're meddled in every other thing that's going on in the world. A Syrian civil war, which, by the way, kids are affected in every freaking Day, but most people here in America don't bat an eyelash at it because it's not our kids. Because it's not our blood and it's not in our daily lives. It's not happening right in front of us. And that's a bad thing too. Everybody turns a blind eye, sort of. At the end of these things, people go, my God. Can you believe how horrible that is? That, you know, people are starting more and more to think, oh, that could happen here. But mostly people turn a blind eye and hope to hell that it doesn't happen where they're at. And yet, you see a course of inaction. An inaction on every front. Every front. Every front. Mental illness, we're not advancing on that. Respect for life. We're not advancing on that. Guns. We're not advancing on that. We're getting lost in the politics. We're getting lost in the arguments. We're getting lost in left versus right. We're getting lost in conservative versus liberal. We're getting lost because we're ignoring the greater problem. The final thing that I had to, that, uh, that I would have to say on people thinking that gun bans are right. And m- mind you, here's the other thing. A lot of people aren't talking about a gun ban when they're talking about gun control. They're talking about stricter regulation, more oversight. And I get that. There's red tape in there. There's some things in there that I'm probably against because I'm a libertarian individual. But there's some room for compromise as well. Anybody who thinks a gun ban solves the issue, I mean an out-and-out gun ban, because that's what you see on social media. You see people gun ban, gun ban, gun ban, gun ban. All right, well, we banned drugs, and we created a drug war that has been devastating for years and years and years and filled the prisons with nonviolent offenders who were doing drugs or purchasing drugs and obtaining drugs. And guess what? The drug problem didn't go away. It became tenfold better. This is America. When you keep citing other nations and what they've done and how it works, you're often citing 
smaller populations that have even stricter immigration rules than we do here, with even stricter rules than we do here, a lot of those places have less liberty than we do here. And America always has a bigger, deeper, harder-to-figure-out black market for everything. Those are just thoughts to keep in your head. And at the end of the day, we should never have to sit here and talk about 17 lives that were just gunned down for no reason whatsoever. But while we're saying that too, there are nations in this world where people are starving to death, where people are fighting tooth and nail, where people are blowing each other up. Humanity, right now, it isn't freaking pretty. But then again, if you look at it historically, humanity hasn't been very good at all anyway. Now, some good arguments have been brought up about the money. Things like the NRA funding and, and the money that's in politics. I'll argue that it's uh, it can be NRA money. It can be big pharma money, for sure. It can be a combination of different things. And that brings to mind, this is the, this audio clip, and it's a, it's a lengthy one, but I think it's worthy of the time. This came from um, Pierre Polivere from Canada in regards to an act to amend the Canada Elections Act regarding political financing. I want you to listen to this. Those that wish to make money need the favor of government decision makers to do it. So they invest in political influence to get that favor. Nobel Prize winning economist James Buchanan called it public choice theory. He wrote, however, when governmental machinery directly uses almost one-third of national product, when interest groups clearly recognize the profits to be made through political action, and when a substantial proportion of all legislation exerts measurably differential effects on, se on the separate groups of the population, an economic theory can be of great help in pointing towards some of the means through which these conflicting interests may ultimately be recognized." End quote. His public th choice theory has, uh, has been described as political theory without the romance. He's, uh, according to William Shugart, public choice theory transfers the rational actor model of economic theory into the realm of politics, where people act rationally in a market economy, investing in order to get a return. Dr. Buchanan found that government-run economies have the exact same kind of calculated trade-offs, people investing in politics in order to get rich. Socialists often decry corporate profiteers who make money in the private sector. As a solution, they believe in replacing the private sector with ever bigger government. But when government replaces private business, what happens to these profiteers? Do these rapacious capitalist vultures 
transform into selfless doves? When socialism replaces the free market, does it simultaneously remove all greed from human, human DNA? Do people stop wanting to make money? Of course not. In fact, the only thing that changes is the way you make money. It's a very good clip. And I'll post the full video in the description so that you can investigate further if you wish. Uh, I think that's a, a good application about campaign financing, money in politics, and talking about free market versus socialism and social control, uh, which is, of course, a different subject. Guys, that's where I want to leave the conversation today. I know it's a more somber episode and a, and a more serious episode, and that's going to happen from time to time, but... These are discussions that we have to have, and this is what I truly believe is the problem going on in America right now. It's a giant combination of the three. A giant combination of the three. This Number one, we don't tackle mental illness and mental health with the severity that we should. Number two, there probably could be better regulations in place in terms of guns when it comes to considering the mental condition and stability of somebody. And there's a lapse in security and a lapse in reaction to these things on multiple fronts. My suggestion, let's stop politicizing everything just for a minute and realize that this issue encompasses not holy guns, not holy mental illness, not holy the definition of the sanctity of life being lost upon humanity. And maybe even not holy humanity itself. It's a multifaceted issue. That does not have a simple answer. The simple answer usually isn't the answer that works out. That's what I'm going to leave you guys with. Be sure to check out my blog at fritzcast.wordpress.com for my blog. On Twitter, I'm at fritzqs, F-R-I-T-Z-Q, as in quail, S. As in sassy. Which I am from time to time. Facebook.com slash the Fritzcast. Remember, we're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher. Please reach out to your friends, share this episode, and let's try to have a greater dialogue on the matter. I'll catch you guys next week.